Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, through chapter 5, verse 2. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. And there we are. Good morning, my name is Vincent. I am one of the elders here at Redemption Peoria. If this is your first time here or you're just joining us, uh, it's been a while, uh, welcome. We're grateful that you're here. So Redemption Church is one of 10 congregations spread out all around the state of Arizona, including Flagstaff and down in Tucson. And the cool part about Redemption is that all of those congregations are going through the same passage this morning. So, but they're all separately led by a group of elders and a lead pastor Um, But the way we do things here, we go through our Sundays through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and it takes a while. We've been in Ephesians since the beginning of the year. We're a little over halfway done, and we have a few more months to go to wrap up Ephesians. And so uh, we're going to dive into the end of chapter 4 this morning and uh, see what God is trying to teach us here today. So uh, before we do that, let me pray, and then uh, we'll dive in. So God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your love and your grace. And we just pray that um, you meet us here today with open hearts. Let our ears be open to hear the message and the truth that you want us to hear. We know that every person in this building right now is here for a reason. It's not by accident. And we just pray that they're able to receive your words, not mine. Whatever message you want them to hear, let them hear, God. Um, Help us to be faithful to the text. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we transitioned from the first three chapters of Ephesians a few months ago, and now we're transitioning into um, the last half of Ephesians, which deals with the first three was more doctrine, laying out our faith. Chapter four, starting in chapter four, verse one, Paul transitions us to what do we do with that doctrine and how it applies to our life. What are we supposed to do with this faith that we have and how is it supposed to come out? And so there's just been this rhythm, this, this thumping of God wants us in community, connected to other people, connected to the body of Christ in a way that we do life together. We were never meant to go through this alone, and so he's constantly pushing us to other people and how we are supposed to interact with those people. And so chapter four has started that. And Jim, specifically Jim Ellis, another one of our elders, a few weeks ago, starting in verse 17, started to introduce this language of put off your old self, put on your new self, meaning Before you were a believer, there's an old part of you that you need to put away from you. Get it out of here. Think of it like an old jacket. The way you were living, this old jacket that you have on, it's beat up, it's comfortable, it's broken in. You know what it feels like. And Paul is saying, take that off. That's old self stuff. You're a believer now. Put on a new jacket. Now this new jacket, and I know it can be uncomfortable at times, it doesn't fit right, and you really want to go back to that old jacket because it feels better. It feels comfortable. It's familiar. But Paul is saying now, get rid of it. So then a few weeks after that, uh, Sean introduces put away language, right? Put this away. These things, how you interact with other people, you need to put those things away, specifically this list of do's and don'ts that um, Paul takes us through. Don't, don't lie to each other. 
Don't talk bad about each other. Don't steal from one another. And so Sean introduced these concepts of where Paul was taking us is, don't do that. Do this so that. There's a reason always connected to what Paul is trying to get us to do. Or don't do. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't do those things specifically so that the devil doesn't have an opportunity to wiggle his way in there and make things worse. Do these things so that you can encourage each other and build each other up. Now, what we're doing today here at the end of chapter 4 is kind of the same, right? There's this, don't do this, do that. However, the so that, that was more obvious in the previous weeks, it's a little bit tricky here today. Paul is still saying, I want you to do this, don't do that. But the so that, we're going we're gonna to come back to that um, a little bit towards the end. And so these, these list of do's and don'ts simply are to show us how to interact with other people. And when we treat each other badly, verse 30, Paul tells us it grieves the Holy Spirit, and that's not something we want to do. So he's laying this framework for how to interact with other people. And so I got a confession to make before we we really dive into that. So Sean asked me if I'd be available to preach this weekend, I don't know, a couple months ago. And man, I didn't have an immediate reaction to it, whether or not I I could do it or wanted to do it. I knew I, I could do it physically, I'd be in town, so it wasn't a big deal. But so I've preached before. This is the third time I've preached. First time last summer, I looked at the passage. I had six months in advance. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I know that passage. It's Acts 17. It's Mars Hill sermon, this amazing gospel message that Paul preached uh, in Athens. Super jacked for that. Then earlier this summer, a couple months ago, I had the privilege of, of, of talking to you guys again, and, uh, and it was great. It was a transition into chapter four, um, you know, live a life worthy of the manner or live your life worthy of the calling. And so we talked about essentials and non-essentials, and God did some really cool stuff in my life leading up to that, and I was super jacked to talk to you guys then. But a couple months ago, Sean asked, and I looked at the passage, let all, let all bitterness and anger and wrath and malice, I, I'm like, I, I got nothing. I don't know what to do with that. I don't have anger and bitterness and wrath wrapped up inside of me. This is what I'm telling myself. So I looked at it, and I'm like, I paused. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I have anything to say. And so I hesitated. It probably took a couple weeks um, before I made a decision. Obviously, I'm here, so I said yes, but um, trying to get to a point of feeling good about how God would use me in this moment, it was tough. And so I just kept praying, God, I don't know what you got going on or what I could possibly do with this passage, but I need you to reveal it to me. And so just keep pushing in, God, teach me whatever you want me to, to, uh, to know. And so anytime you open yourself up like that in various different ways, you got to buckle up because that's what happened to me the last couple months. Um, God is taking me through some stuff that is nothing short of amazing um, and terrible at the same time. Because what's happening is God, he, he, I felt the spirit just, just alive as I, as I continued to meditate and, and press into him and really try to be still. God, what do you want me to know? What's going on? And so when we talk about the sense of community and being in relationship, um, it seems like what happened was God said, okay, I'm going to show you what I need from you. And he put me face to face with every single challenging relationship in my life. Like concentration all at once, here you go. And oh my gosh, I, 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 the only word I can come up to, to describe it is, is, is this suffocation. I felt overwhelmed with everything back to back to back. I felt attacked. I felt... Um, I had no energy. I mean, I was, I was done. I didn't know what to do with it. Um, 
I definitely felt, I felt wronged. I felt um, like I was the victim sometimes in some of these relationships. I mean, personal relationships, close relationships, far relationships, work relationships, um, relationships with people specifically dealing with some money stuff. I mean, it was just over and over and over. And, uh, and I checked out. I checked out. Um, I stopped really eating. Um, I, I kept eating, but it, it was not, not good. So it was my extreme reaction to prevent what the passage is taking us through today. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and slander put it away from me. Well, this was my reaction. In order for me to do that, I'm just going to check out. And I don't know how many times I said, I just don't care. Something really tough is coming up, whether it's work or or anything happening. And I just said, I don't don't care. I'm done. I'm going to prevent the bitterness and the anger from from boiling up, so I'm just going to check out. But that was wrong. I knew it was wrong. And so we just kept going harder. And we, meaning Diane and I, because Diane and I are going through some of this stuff together, um, not with each other, but with specific relationships. And so we dove in together. And so I'm talking to her, Super Jack, hey, this is what God's doing in me. Hey, what's God doing in you? And uh, the terrible part of it, it's exciting to see God work, but the terrible part is, man, he's revealing some pretty terrible stuff inside of me. And uh, it's, it's hard to deal with sometimes. And so it even got to a point, Diana and I are talking, and, she, and she's joking. She goes, man, I really hate when you preach. The stuff that God is doing is like no one wants to, to hear this stuff, but it's so good because we know it's um, because of a process of what he's doing inside of us. So um, all that to say is I'm really excited to share with you guys this morning, but it was a tough road to get her over a couple weeks to finally um, press into it. So um, a little more context about, about where we're at in chapter 4. Again, he's taking us through how to relate to each other. And so even in my relationships, I had to see, God, what am I supposed to be doing when I'm having these tough challenges? Specifically, don't do this, don't do this, so that. And so a lot of that stuff has to do with behavior that you can control. You can control yourself, right? Ah, I'm not going to do that. Even in my frustration with some of these people, um, I felt pretty good. In my anger, I I wouldn't sin, right? We went through that a, a few weeks ago but there was something still off, right? And so when you relate to other people, here's what you need to do or don't do. But as Paul subtly takes us through today, this transition into don't do this to people, do this. But what do you do when other people do it to you? I can control myself pretty good and not, not lie or cheat or, or steal or talk bad about people. But what do you do when someone else does it to you? It's a little harder. It's a lot harder. And so this is where Paul is taking us through today. So one last thing before we dive into this text. I want you to go through something with me right now. When you close your eyes, everybody close your eyes. I know it's weird. Close your eyes in church. Just close your eyes. And I want you to think of a specific time, maybe current, maybe old, but when you've been hurt when you've been wronged, when you're not the giver of injustice, but you're the receiver of injustice, when you're the victim, when someone else has prevented you from getting what you want. Think about that moment and dive into that deep place of your heart that just aches and hurts. The unfairness of your reality is unbearable at times. And if other people just knew how bad you've been wronged, things would be so much better. Now, with your eyes closed, continue to just press into that time and think about 
the person or people who are responsible for that pain inside of you. It could be a boss, it could be a coworker, it could be your kids, it could be your spouse. Think about the source of that pain, of that injury that someone has caused you, the part that makes you really want to be mad and get revenge. You want that person to hurt as much as you, if not more. Because if only the world knew how bad this person has hurt you or people, that would be better. That would make you feel less pain. Now open your eyes. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Uh, We're going to sit in that for the next 30 minutes or so. I want you to hear the words that God is taking us through today, process it through this filter of your injury, of your hurt. When someone else has wronged you, what do you do? When the anger and the frustration and the bitterness is building up in you, what do you do? Well, Paul's going to tell us. So let's just dive in. Chapter 4, verse 31. When those things are happening, here's what you do. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Get rid of all of it. That's old self stuff. We're supposed to put off the old self, put on the new self. The new self, that doesn't exist. Get rid of all of it. I know it's kind of a letdown because there's a part of you that's like, no, let it build up. Build your case. I'm about to thunder somebody because of what they did to me. That feels good at times. I get it. I get it. That's old self. You got to let it go. You got to put it away from you and put it far away from you. The source of a a lot of bitterness for me um, at one point is my dad, right? And so I know some of you probably have some some dad hurt out there. Um, I've been meeting with a men's group, gosh, every Friday for the last 10 years, same group. And one of the Fridays we were talking about forgiveness and some of this bitterness and stuff and what, what, what to do with it. Um, so I remember telling Diana, Diana was like, hey, what did you guys talk about? Oh, we talked about forgiveness. Oh, how was that? Well, we got a group of men together talking about bitterness and forgiveness and hurt. What do you think we talked about? Talked about dads. All around the table. Dad, 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 dad. I know that that's a source of extreme pain for a lot of you. And for me, it it was the same. I had some bitterness towards an old church in my life. And there was definitely some wrath and anger going on, for sure. That's old self stuff. We've got to put on this new jacket. And I know this new jacket is uncomfortable. It doesn't feel right. But it's the uncomfortability that breeds growth. And so we got to put it on. we got to trust. we got to press into it. So let's, let's dive into this first. Let all bitterness. What are all these things that Paul is talking about? We're not going to break down each, each of these words, but in general, let's just look at what they all mean so we have a general idea of what we're dealing with. Bitterness, exhibiting intense animosity, harsh complaints, wrath, strong, vengeful anger, anger, strong feeling of displeasure, clamor, this loud, continuous noise. Now you're yelling, now you're complaining loudly to other people. Slander, smearing, talking bad about someone, malice, desire to cause pain. This, this, you see the differences between all of them, but they're all generally the same, and they're all terrible. I've had it all inside of me at times. My guess is that most of you had as well. But also, the malice and the anger part, I don't think that's where most of us live. Malice and anger, I mean, this is, this is terrible stuff, and it's more obvious 
I don't have any wrath, I don't have any anger. But my guess is that bitterness is where most of us live. It's subtle, you don't think it's there, but I would argue it's the worst out of everything on this list, and it leads to most of the other things. Look at Hebrews 12, 15, it says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God so that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many may come defiled. So this bitterness is like this root, and Paul, the Bible is telling us, do not let it take root and spring up. If it does, the devil's going to get a hold of it, and it's going to lead to all these other terrible, terrible emotions in ways that God doesn't want us to treat other people. It grieves him. And remember this person and these people that have hurt you, right? Everything that we're talking about is going through this filter. What do you do with it when it's building up inside of you? And Paul says, do not let it take root. Get rid of it. But it feels so good sometimes. It feels good to just complain about this other person to somebody else. It feels good for someone else to lock into my pain. I get it. You think it soothes the pain. It's good for your soul. It's not. It's a lie. It's going to destroy you. And Paul says, get rid of it. Get rid of that old jacket. Colossians 3, 9 through 10 says, You have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. This old self is not of God. The new self is in the image of your creator. It's a better reflection of God. And that's what he wants us to put on. That's what he wants us to dig into. Well, I I thought I could just be angry and not sin. Look, I, I don't trust myself enough to do that. So Paul is just saying, get rid of it. Get rid of it. If you think your anger all the time falls into the righteous anger category... I would just check yourself because in those moments when you get angry and you're feeling like this is right, you got to let it go. A couple weeks ago, we were at um, In-N-Out um, after church. So we leave church, go to In-N-Out for lunch, and we roll seven deep, right? So we have the minivan, we're parking. Um, this other, as we're moving, this other SUV is pulling into the space right next to us, right? So we see them like just falling in there. And we, again, we haven't even parked. We're still moving. And so we're like, wait, stop. Everyone just relax. They get in, and I'm like, it wasn't that serious, dude, but okay. They get out. We wait for their doors to open. We finally park. We get out, and there's eight, I don't know, seven or eight of them. There's a lot. So now we're both out of our car. We're walking towards In-N-Out. They're walking towards In-N-Out, and you can see us all just like going a little faster, right? We got, who's going to get to the door first, right? Well, the Clark family got to the door first, and so uh, I don't know. One of my kids, I, uh, I think Acacia, somebody opened the door, for this other family, they go in there. No acknowledgement of us, just go in the door. Like, okay. So we go in, and sure enough, now you guys know in and out. None of the tables move, none of the chairs move, so there's only so many places that you can sit together, and they're always busy. So what are the odds of a family of seven uh, being able to sit together? So this family of, I don't know, let's say seven, uh, they go in, and right away, one person gets in line, long line, and the others go find the tables to sit together. So they all save the tables. And I just know it inside of me. I can feel it. I can feel it boiling up. Like, this is is not going to go well, right? So we're in line, and sure enough, um, you know, we have to order. There's no other tables for seven people. So our family splits up. No big deal. All the whole while, I'm just, like, leering at this other family. Like, we got here first. My kids, open your door for you. And again, common courtesy, if someone opens the door for me, and it's a long line, 
I'm thinking everyone is like thinking this and knows this. I'm going to walk through the door. There's a long line. This person obviously was here first because they opened the door for me. I'm going to let them go. It's fair. It's common courtesy, right? Not today. Not this day. And so I, I just know it. The, the anger is just boiling up. If everyone just followed the rules, it would be better, right? So you know, you're supposed to order. If everyone just ordered, didn't get a table until they ordered, the flow of the restaurant this is how it works. But they threw it all off because they got the table first before we ordered. And it injured us. I mean, I was frustrated. I know I didn't sin in that anger. And we had some good conversations with, with our kids, these teachable moments. But Paul is saying, just let that go. You didn't sin in your anger, but get rid of it, right? So check out this. Klein Snodgrass, he wrote a commentary on Ephesians. He says this about the anger. The reason the New Testament deletes anger as an option is that the anger is largely a self-centered emotion. Anger is a means of communicating what we care about, usually ourselves, and is an attempt at punishment. It is a chemical and physiological reaction to our displeasure that the world is not as we wish. It is also a choice we make, for we choose both what we react to and at what level the reaction will occur. You can control all of these emotions. All of them. I get it. It may be harder for some of us than others, but you can control it. Fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. We know that God wouldn't tell us to do it if it was super simple. You're going to need the power of God to control yourself in some of this, to let it go. You can do it. You have to recognize that none of these emotions, this bitterness, this wrath, this anger, they're all secondary emotions. None of them are primary emotions. And specifically in this text and what we're talking about today, these are things that come up when someone else has done you wrong when you've been injured, when you haven't been able to get what you want because of someone else. The tendency for this stuff to build up is huge. But you've got to put them all away. You've got to get rid of all of it. So, now, it's not good enough to just put stuff away. To take off your old stuff, we're told to put on something new. We're told to don't do this, do that. And so, great, now we put some stuff away. We're not bitter, we're not angry. We're not wishing death to somebody. We get rid of it. But now what? We've got to put something on. So let's start in verse 32. What is some of that stuff? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now there's a lot to unpack here. We could spend a whole Sunday on each one of these words. But don't skip over some of this. Be kind. Kind is not the same as nice. Anyone can be nice. You can put on a nice face. But being kind, there's this genuineness. Even the Greek word for kind is Christos. It's this, this, this same, there's only one letter from, uh, different from Jesus. This kindness is genuine care about somebody else. Does that come through you? Be tenderhearted. Tenderhearted, literally, to be kind and be gentle. Be compassionate. Be empathetic towards somebody else. So think about these people that have hurt you. When you're dealing with somebody who's a challenge, be tenderhearted. And you'd be amazed that as you're empathetic, as you're tenderhearted, as you're processing people through this lens of tenderheartedness, you'd be amazed at how the Holy Spirit equips you to bear with one another in love. Because he tells us to do it. Being tenderhearted is one of those things that helps us to do that. Not to justify behavior, but to bear with one another. So this last part, though, verse 32, is where we're going to take some time. Forgive each other. As God, in Christ, specifically, the King James Version says, as God for Christ's sake. Because of Christ, forgive. 
And notice the tense, forgiving each other. It's constant. It's frequent. It's not one time. It happens all the time. Paul wants us to do something here that is super challenging. And so even if you might be familiar with times, well, how, how many times do I, do I have to forgive? You might remember uh, Peter and Matthew talking about um, Jesus. Do I have to forgive seven times in a day if, if he asked me? Well, let's see what Jesus says. Matthew 18, verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Well, what if I forgive them and they keep doing it? They keep hurting me and they keep asking for forgiveness. I know they're not, they're not being honest because they keep doing it. Am I supposed to keep forgiving them then? I don't know. Let's see. Luke 17, 3 and 4. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. But here's the thing. The word for forgiveness in this passage specifically is not the same word that's used in these other passages. Okay? So let's do a real quick word study. There's four basic words in the New Testament that are translated as forgive or forgiveness. Okay? But we're going to focus on two of them, two of the main ones. This first one, aphieme, in the Greek, aphieme means literally to, uh, to let go, to sin, to give up, to expire, the emphasis is on the separation, right? You have been forgiven of your sins. There's a separation. You no longer owe the debt. You are free from the guilt and you're free from the consequences. It's a big deal. Now let's look at the second word, charizomai. <clears throat> this one's a little bit trickier. It's a little more colorful, if you will. And translating word for word is always tough from the Greek because there's so many... Um, uh, senses or, or, or meanings that we're trying to lock into. What's the best one word to convey this? And so this charismai, you know, literally means to freely give, to graciously restore, to bestow, to put on somebody. The root word of this charismai is charis. So if you just change, change that Z to an S, get rid of the rest of the word, charis. That's the root of this word. Charis is the Greek word that's translated in the New Testament as grace. You have been saved by charis by grace there's this unmerited favor sense of this word something you didn't deserve to get but you still got it someone else did this to you gave this to you so this word aphiamea occurs 46 times or is translated 46 times as forgive charismai is translated 12 times as forgive it's this sense of we are to proactively give grace so what is Paul trying to convey to us here? In the midst of our bitterness and anger and wrath and feeling of wanting to hurt somebody, what are we supposed to do? Give grace. As God, because of Jesus and only because of Jesus, he gave you grace. And Paul is saying the same thing. You don't think Jesus was hurt the way his people rejected him, the way we reject him? He's constantly hurt. But he's still proactively forgives. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, uh, verses 5 through 11. Now, if anyone has caused pain, now, so Paul's talking to the Corinthians, um, which a majority, a lot of them have accepted Christ. So this person that he's talking about is uh, basically the opposition, the leader of this opposition against Paul. And so Paul is saying, look, if anyone has caused you pain, talking to the Christians, he has caused it, not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by a majority is enough. So you should rather turn 
to forgive, to charismai, and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For, in this, for this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you charismai, who you proactively give grace and forgive, I also will give them grace. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have charismai, anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his design. Paul specifically, this person is not coming asking for forgiveness. Do I have to forgive someone in the midst of my pain who has clearly has hurt me? Do I have to forgive them? Yes. Proactively, freely, without condition, yes. But it's tough, right? Super tough. Cool thing is that there's actually in, uh, in Luke uh, chapter 7, verse 40, both of these words, aphemi and charismai, are translated as forgive in the same passage. Two different words we translate it as forgive in the same passage. Take a look. NA, NASB version. And Jesus answered him, Simon. So Simon is a Pharisee. At this time, um, Simon noticed a, a woman who's washing Jesus' feet, who's anointing him, right? And Simon is thinking to himself, she shouldn't be doing that. So Jesus, he didn't even say this out loud, but Jesus knows what he's thinking. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A money lender has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously, charismai, forgave them. Okay? Didn't say they were asking for forgiveness or repenting. They just, he acknowledged they, they couldn't pay him. There's several things he could have done, but he graciously forgave them. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom you charismai, who you gave more grace to. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning towards a woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her feet, or wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been Aphiemi, right? So this is an act of repentance of her coming to Jesus, wiping her feet. She knows that she's wrong. She knows that she needs Jesus. She knows she needs to be forgiven. She's coming to him, asking for that through her behavior with Jesus. And so Jesus says, you're forgiven. Your sins have been aphiemi. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even aphiemi sins? And he said to this woman, your face has saved you and go in peace. So I hope you can start to see this difference that Paul is talking about at the end of chapter 4, verse 32. No one's coming to you asking for forgiveness. But we are told to graciously, proactively give grace and forgive. Especially in the midst of your hurt. As this bitterness is raising up inside of you, as your anger is starting to take root, Charismai, you have to give grace. Don't let that take root and build up. Look, the grace that we got, this is how God loved us. Remember, the verse says, as God in Jesus forgave. This is how God forgave us. We didn't deserve it. Sin is terrible. There's a huge price to pay for sin. The Bible says, Romans 6.33, that the wages of sin is death. There's nothing we deserve in our sin. The only way to be righteous with God is that blood has to be shed. 
Old Testament talks about this, a lamb without blemish. These are the things that were being sacrificed. Well, guess what? Your blood has a lot of blemishes, and so does mine. There ain't no way my blood is making myself righteous. It never could. But we are still forgiven. And why is that? I don't know. There ain't nothing I did to deserve it, for sure. And in the midst of this deserving death, look what God does in Ephesians 2, two of my favorite words in the entire Bible. Ephesians 2, verse 4, but God. But God. Even though we deserve that, but God stepped in and being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by charis, by grace, you have been saved. It's because of Jesus. God only forgave you because of Jesus. And he's saying, Paul is telling us, because God, as God did this, you do it. You do it. And so even transitions, chapter 5, verse 1. Do as God did. Imitate God. Therefore, chapter 1, verse 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You are a child of God. You've been adopted into his family. We are fellow heirs with him. And as a child, as your children do, as your children watch you, if you're a parent... They emulate you. They look to you for direction, good and bad. They're going to imitate you. And Paul is saying, imitate God. Imitate God's character. It's so good. As you try to put on this new jacket that doesn't try to that fit quite right, imitate God. Do what he does. So remember earlier we talked about this. Don't do this. Do this so that, well, Paul's giving us some clues here what the so that is. Don't do that. Don't let bitterness rise up. Do this, be kind, forgive. In the verse 32, as God, the beginning of verse 1, chapter 5, imitate God, even in verse 2, chapter 5, and walk in love as Christ. What Paul's getting at here, what he desperately wants from us, don't let bitterness rise up, don't be angry, be kind, tenderhearted, forgive, so that you can be more like him. It's so that we are a better reflection of the perfect design that God made in us. God knows the end game. He knows exactly what he wanted to do with us. And Sean even introduced this language a couple weeks ago. What God is doing is molding you and creating you and moving you in this process to be the best version of yourself, how God intended it. Ultimately, we are to be a reflection of our creator. Do these things so that you reflect God, so that others can see a better reflection of who God is. It's this process we're constantly in, this sanctification that once you become a believer, you enter into this process of becoming holy. And that's what Paul is wanting for us here. Do these things so that you become like God. You reflect God. Bitterness and angry, that's old self. Get rid of it. Burn that jacket. New self loves and forgives. But not just how you think we're supposed to love. Remember, verse 2, as Christ. We're supposed to do this as Christ and walk in love as Christ loved us and what? Gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this old self to new self, he transitions. This new self loves as Christ loved. And don't miss this. How did Christ love? He gave himself up for you. It's a sacrificial love. It means self-sacrifice. In the midst of your pain and your anger and your bitterness, can you sacrifice yourself? 
when you're hurting the most, when there's someone else to blame, when the bitterness is coming and the anger is coming and the wrath is boiling up inside of you, sacrifice yourself. And just to be clear, not kill yourself, but die to yourself. It ain't always about you. Romans 12.3 says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Yes, probably most people would agree, you've been wronged, you deserve not to feel that way. Stop. That's not how Christ loved. He loved self-sacrificially. Can you love in that way? And when you do this, the Bible tells us, the end of verse 2, it's a fragrant offering to God. Second Corinthians even says this, this sacrifice, this offering is a sweet, this is aroma. You are the aroma of Jesus. This sacrifice, this self-sacrifice is pleasing to God. Not the bitterness. Contrast the fragrant offering with the bitterness that Paul talks about in the beginning. The bitterness. Even when you say the word, it just makes your face like cringe. You guys maybe remember, I don't know, 20 years ago or so, there's this, this uh, beer ad campaign with football. is this bitter beer face. Like they open this can of beer and it just like, ugh, just stinks. That's, that's God's face. At least in my brain, that's God's face when these things happen. When the bitterness and anger is taking root inside of you, God's just like, ugh. Verse 30 says, chapter 4, it grieves the Holy Spirit. But this self-sacrifice is a fragrant offering to him. That's the new self. That's what he's, Paul is taking us through. Get rid of the old stuff. But it's not cheap. And it, there's a price to pay for that. And it's not easy. And I get it. I don't know if I can really do this. I don't think you understand the weight of this pain that I have. I don't think you understand how badly I've been wronged. If I forgave that person, um, I don't know if I'm willing to pay that price of what I'm going to have to give up, that self-sacrifice. Forgiveness and kindness? Bitterness and anger? Yes. Yes. No. No. That's old self. The forgiveness is going to cost you. I love how John Piper puts it. John Piper, a pastor, says, God's forgiveness was costly, and so is ours. It cost God his son, and it will cost us the sweet taste of revenge and the pleasure of savoring a grudge and the pride of superiority. Ah, it's so good, because it's so true. When you forgive someone who didn't ask, let alone didn't deserve it, I don't know if I can do that. I like this feeling of they need to pay. But as you are feeling that way, as you're wanting to slander somebody, someone else to pay the price for causing your pain, you must, you have to, please hear this, let God be your defense. Let God be your defense. He's got your back. Romans 12, 19, my friends, Don't try to punish anyone who does wrong to you. Wait for God to punish them with his anger. In the scriptures, the Lord says, I am the one who punishes. I will pay people back. God is your defense. You have to rest in that. I know you want to build up your case for this this massive self-defense, laying out, getting your army of people on your side. Don't. Don't. God is your defense. And as you rest in that, Jesus said, the truth will set you free. This truth that God is your defense will release the shackles that you have. Excuse me. 
enabling you to let go of this bitterness, of the anger that you have inside of you. That freedom to know that I don't have to respond to that. I don't need to see that person pay. God is my defense. And the natural byproduct of that, of resting in that truth, is that you won't be bitter. You won't be angry. It'll be much easier for you to let it go. That's old self stuff. Let it go. Forgiving proactively and graciously and freely. Loving self-sacrificially others who have hurt you. The source of this bitterness and wrath and anger. It's the antidote and the vaccine. It's the cure and the remedy. As bitterness builds up inside of you, forgive graciously. Love self-sacrificially, and it'll be the cure to the bitterness taking root inside of you. But it's, it's the prevention as well. It's the vaccine. You get these shots to prevent disease. Living in a way that is dying to yourself, it's not all about you. Loving self-sacrificially will prevent the bitterness from, from taking root. So you have to rest in that. Now, think about this person that has hurt you, that I had you close your eyes and everything is going through this filter. Breathe. Breathe. I mentioned my dad being the source of some bitterness for me. Breathe. I I had an opportunity to sit down with him last summer. And at some point, um, he, he asked for forgiveness. The only reason I was able to even sit there is because I said, Dad, I forgave you a long time ago. Well, I didn't ask for it. You didn't have to ask for it. That bitterness and anger, that was released a long time ago. The only reason I was even able to sit with him was because it was gone. This proactive, generous, grace-based, only because of God I was able to do that. It has nothing to do with Vincent was just cool and, and awesome one day. Not at all. You have to rest in this truth that God is your defense. God will take care of everything. Rest into that. Press into him and let it just, let your soul be taken care of. Let it rest and let your soul be well. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us in a way that our minds cannot even comprehend that why we were still sinners, you died for us. I'm grateful for that, God. I certainly didn't deserve the forgiveness and the price that was paid to forgive me through your son, Jesus. God, thank you so much for doing that for me. And as we go through life and as we go through these trials and as we go through this pain, help us to stay focused on you, to grab a hold of you, to firmly wrap our arms around you as our sure and steady anchor, to give us hope and strength to navigate through life amidst other people hurting us. Let us reflect you in our behavior, in our actions. Let us rest in your promises to give us strength to do it. God, we love you so much. We praise you. Help our lives reflect our gratitude. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.